This is Saturday Morning Mysteries. And we're your hosts, Alexis and Grace. Good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Saturday Morning Mysteries, where we are your hosts. I'm Grace. And I'm Alexis. And today we are continuing our arc of the amazing Channel Channel Clan, a mm-hmm. very fascinating 1970 Hanna-Barbera uh, single season show that but it's we've a been hit. loving, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's great. I wish there was more than one season. Maybe this will be our petition to get like Cartoon Network, HBO, bring it, bring back. it back. Yeah. Someone Please. out there. Yeah, get it's it together. Really Let's good. Do it. I promise people will watch. Yeah, at least two. <laughs> You're looking at them. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> uh, and today, uh, Bird will be giving us uh, or will be telling us another story of um, the Chan Broods weekends with Dad. So, yeah, we can the brood. <laughs> These ten kids, a dog, and their father. Uh, Yeah, another weekend with dad. But before we jump into the weekend shenanigans, I do want to say that uh, it's funny that just uh, a couple of episodes back, or at least a couple of Grace's episodes back, she had to provide a little bit of a disclaimer about like general character depictions in the show, especially after we've been like hyping this show up so much for being so (laughs) inclusive and like a very uh, appropriately depicting a lot of these uh, people from different cultures. Um, Mm -hmm. We're back giving that disclaimer one more time (laughs) because in today's episode, if you go to watch it, if you come about it, go to watch it, you will see there's a few kind of like shaky character depictions based on where some of our supporting cast are uh, coming from. It's like a nondescript nation, but Oh, like in like in your episode. So since it's nondescript, I'm not exactly sure which kind of like turban some of these characters are wearing, but okay. I'm just going to go with Pagri as well throughout okay. the episode. And, you know, you see like armed guards wearing the super cliche, like open vests with the long sleeve tops that have like these poofy sleeves and like oh, very gosh. thick, long beards and the Pagri's. And it's uh, it's a thing. But aside from that, it's it's not it's not too bad. It's really just the the outfits <laughs> that some of these folks are wearing. So sorry if you come about it and watch it and you're offended. But eh, it's 1972 in America. <laughs> I guess just be glad that there were brown and not only white people on screen. That's anyway. a good twist to it, yeah. yeah and sure. a good heads up because we do in the videos like clip in images, so that's also why we give the heads mm-hmm. up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is Let funny. It. Yeah, being like in this non-descript country, they still manage to be racist, slightly offensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. I guess so- some. I don't know, obviously, in this, in your episode you're about to do, I'm thinking back on some of, like, the incredibly racist shit in Scooby-Doo, where, like, not only depictions, but, like, what they, how they acted and what they talked about. So, maybe just the animators of the show were racist, but the writers weren't as much, because, like... yeah. I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair assessment because yeah, nothing that these people say in this episode, or I I really don't even think in your episode was like particularly, you know, stereotyping or like offensive to a certain culture. It was, it's literally just the way that they draw these characters. There's like one animator who was super racist, but it was the head animator. So he got away with it. Exactly. He's like, you can't, (laughs) you can't challenge me on this. He's the only animator probably. Let's be real. We see, we see some of the continuity errors in this stuff. I think this was a one man shop and like maybe an intern (laughs) or something. (laughs) You think the intern was being sent upstairs to get the cell animation? for from, from Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah. It's from one of your last episodes. Yes, yes. for sure. So disclaimer. that disclaimer, oh. that disclaimer aside, let's uh let's talk about the Chance Chan family's weekend with dad. Mm-hmm. Um they are in this episode attending and watching like this Grand Prix style race. 
in which a friend of I'm sorry is Grand Prix yeah. cars or horses? Cars, cars. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> you know, I had race car race in here at first, but I was like, no, nah, it's like fancier. the actual. Yeah, exactly. And then, damn, still lost you. No, I'm so, yeah. fancy, sorry. Car you know, races. <laughs> it, no, never mind. I'm not going to say that. But <laughs> is it a sport? It is. People would be at my throat if they. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Go so on. they're at this Grand Prix style race. I think they're somewhere in America, but it's people from all over the world who are in mm-hmm. this race. And one of the racers is actually a friend of Henry Chan, a.k.a. the oldest Chan child. So (laughs) this friend, you may ask, who is it? (laughs) Oh, just none other than Prince Harim of some foreign unnamed nation. Oh, yeah, they don't they never say what country he's from, but he (laughs) is indeed a prince and is like Mm -hmm. very, very important in the political and governmental system of whatever country he's from. And yeah, like I said, Toss Toss just so happens to be a good old friend of Henry's. A good old friend or 18. (laughs) 18, I know, right? So Harim, he is like 18 or this young Uh man, and he's got this like very thick black flowing hair and nice dark olive toned skin. And Henry claims to have known this prince for years. So, like, we can really only wildly speculate about how they know each other. Like, did they go to some fancy-ass boarding school together? That's what I was going to assume for sure. Yeah, or, like, did Charlie solve a mystery or, like, some crime for his family who would have been, like, the the sultan or, like, the the king, I guess, years ago, Uh thus leading to a friendship between the two boys? I don't know. But... It turns out that uh, the prince is actually also scheduled to return back to his home country that same night so that he can sign some extremely important papers the next day. And these papers, which are described by the prime minister, we'll talk about him more later, but they essentially sound like some sort of treaty, maybe with another nation or some trade deal. I don't know. But essentially, they're saying that the papers and the prince signing them is going to guarantee the safety of his nation. So very important stuff here. Sir, you should not be racing cars today. <laughs> not be. Go home. And the, the prime minister is like on edge too, as he's like standing with the chans surrounded by security guards who literally yeah. there's like six security guards dressed as I described earlier, right. but <laughs> it's all the same person that they use for the six of them. So <laughs> very funny. I wasn't going to throw that in there, but One it, it's really funny. <laughs> I'm sure you'll clip it and put it in there. It's <laughs> it's hilarious into our video. So yeah, the, the PM, he's like super anxious. Like, yeah, like we I can't wait for us to get out of here because yeah, the prince has got to be home tomorrow or else our country is essentially going to be in war. <laughs> Yeah, like r- racing is like pretty dangerous. <laughs> like <laughs> he so could crash. Dangerous. He could at least like break some bones and be hospitalized or something. I don't know. But anyway, he's the prince. does what he he's wants. The prince. He can do whatever he wants. You can't stop well, this prince. No. Uh so one of the other competitors in the race is a man by the name of Count Yagesh. And he happens to be coincidentally not only the prince's most bitter rival in sport, but also in politics, whatever that means. I don't know if they're from the same country. They look like they're of different ethnicities, so I don't think so. But nonetheless, that's how the prime minister describes Yagesh. And, and you get another, he's a driver. Also yes, today. he's also competing in this race. Okay. This is some yeah. Cold War shit. Like, <laughs> let's fight this war in other subtle On ways. the racetrack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Winner gets the nukes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we have to sign this treaty. This yes. treaty. Wow. So, okay. 1970. It's a dicey time to have a Cold War that's, episode. That's how they fit. You know, I would rather they do it that way than on a battlefield with unfortunate, <laughs> poor, and middle class men being drafted to their untimely death. Anyway, so get on that race car. <laughs> get on that race car. You just see them all instead of being drafted into a war, they're like drafted into crew teams and stuff. They're like fixing <laughs> these race cars for these like princes and counts. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'd love to see that. That'd be kind of cool. You know, if we rule the world, that's how it would be. 
<laughs> so, like Kevin McCarthy switching up a tire. <laughs> He's like covered in like oil and grease on his face. Uh-huh. Like, what do I do? He's like <laughs> Bernie Sanders, like wiping down a car, like windshield or something. Cars like getting ready Bernie to would be off. like, yeah, we all Bernie have would to be do the this. driver, the collective. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Mitch McConnell anyway. would be like, I can't bend down to do it. Uh, falls over. <laughs> I can't get up. Uh, oh, my fault. I can't get up. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so Yagesh, though, I just I have to describe him kind of briefly because he looks kind of funny. Um he, his nose is always turned up like you just smelled some shit or something terrible. <laughs> and he honestly <laughs> He honestly, I don't know how much you watched. Um, oh, gosh, actually, I forget the name of it. But it was another Hanna-Barbera show where they did like these crazy racing events and stuff. And it was like Dick Dastardly was the main villain. I think, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, whatever. He kind of looks like him hilariously again, because it was a Hanna-Barbera show. Yeah, and I'm sure I don't, same cell I, don't think they co- I don't know if they copied the same cell animation, but they definitely were like looking at it like eh, cheating. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> use that. Just use that. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so in this race with Harim and Yagesh and a bunch of other people who we don't care about in this story, um, Harim ends up winning actually in a photo finish. At one point, Ooh. he takes a big lead, but somehow Yagesh is able to get back on his tail and it's like, you know, they're neck and neck, but Harim wins. And so when Henry goes to congratulate Harim after the race, the prince just like walks right by him without even waving, without saying anything, almost as if they've never met a day in their life. And Henry is like, oh, father, something's wrong. Something's wrong with the prince. Okay. Henry. <laughs> that was definitely some boarding school romance that happened mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Okay. That was my other wild speculation. I'll get to that in a second. Yes. Okay. He's like, he's like so scorned by the fact that he didn't, you know, at all respond to Henry's congratulations. Charlie's like, oh, it's okay, Henry. The prince is probably just tired. Like, it's it's all right. He just needs some rest. But Henry, he's like, he can't shake it. He's like, no. I think something strange is going on. Something's wrong with him. Which, yeah, like. He gets ignored one time and automatically automatically suggests that some sort of mystery must be afoot. <laughs> but it does show that Henry and the prince are indeed pretty close friends if Henry is so off-put by the prince's mm. actions or perhaps past lovers who have been scorned. <laughs> the bromance, <laughs> at least, that has been ruptured. <laughs> so... It's he told funny me he because... loved me before he got in the car, father. I swear. <laughs> and the cool thing, though, is like Charlie Chan would be totally fine with that, too. Like he loves his oh, kids 100%. no matter what. So he'd be very accepting. But it's so funny that you said that, because <laughs> when I was watching it, that was my first thought, too. He's like, oh, my gosh, is this like a scorned lover? And the very next scene back at the uh, hotel I'm guessing it's a hotel. I don't know what country they're in. We just see the yeah. Chan clan doing like band rehearsal. But the song that they're singing, which again, super catchy, kind of slaps. It's like um, the lyrics are like, who done it? Who done it? Who went and stole my heart away? Those like, the weren't the original like, lyrics, on but Henry. Henry changed them. Henry's like playing the drums, crying like... <laughs> You stole my heart. <laughs> Just his tears splashing back up at him. <laughs> like rolling off the cymbals. So it was really funny, like hearing that song right after Henry seemed so heartbroken about something. Incredible. I mean, not incredible for Henry. It's yeah, very sad to see. Incredible writing, though. Yes, yes. Incredible writing. But as they're in there practicing this pretty catchy song, uh, they the band is interrupted by Haji, the prime minister of Prince Harim's country. He's knocking on the door ferociously and someone opens it for him, I think maybe Flip or something. And yeah. he is like, please, I need to talk to your father immediately. It's an emergency. And Charlie walks up to him and says, well, what is it? Well, what's going on? Everything OK? 
and he tells Charlie that the prince has gone missing. Coincidentally, only hours before he's set to sign his country's vitally Ah. important security papers. And the prime minister noted earlier that there are definitely others around, or at least in the world, who do not want the prince to sign these papers. Mm -hmm. So... While the Henry's chance vindicated right now, <laughs> like, oh, he wasn't God. ghosting me. He was kidnapped. He's, Wonderful. He's kidnapped. Exactly. He knew something oh, bad was going to happen. So while the chance are investigating the supposed crime scene, AKA like back on the race course and at the garage where Harim's car is parked. And I guess is being like upgraded, whatever a race car drives by like the garage doors open and they're in there just like talking to the crew team, talking to the prime minister and security guards, etc. And they see this other race car drive by and it's driven by what looks like a man in like a black balaclava, like those fool, the masks that fully cover your face and oh, like come uh-huh. down to the neck or whatever. Uh-huh. He throws this guy driving this car throws out um, actually one of Prince Harim's scarves right towards the chans and they notice they walk up to it and notice that a note is attached and the guy in the race car just like speeds away so very sus and this note says very clearly do not attempt to call police the prince will be released unharmed in 48 hours so while charlie is looking closely at this note scooter pulls out a magnifying glass and he like leans down and examines the scarf closer noticing that there's something written on the bottom of it and so charlie he picks it up from scooter and he's like oh good eye kid like yeah you guys are actually learning a thing or two finally yeah. like halfway through this first season of the show <laughs> and it's the six-year-old <laughs> exactly it's the youngest <laughs> of all of them and so charlie looks at it and he notices that it's the word osiris that is inscribed or like embossed into this scarf and i think it's susie maybe asks him like what's osiris mean and i I didn't really look this up i'm sure it's true but charlie tells him (laughs) that it's the name of the mythological god of the underworld so the prime minister freaks out at this point like uh okay well we need the prince here now i don't like the fact that there's some devil essentially name on this scar <laughs> what's happening he needs to sign these security papers tomorrow we can't wait 48 hours or else our country is going to be in grave danger he's kind of freaking yeah. out as he should be yes at this point count you you then drives by you know, like out of his race car suit, whatever. He's just looking at them like, hey, is the prince all right? Have you guys found him yet? And the prime minister is like, ah, that's no matter of concern to you, you gash. Like, get out of here, kid. We don't need you. <laughs> because the PM really does not like you gash. Mm. But you gash is like, dude, I swear, I only want to beat Harim in racing. I really actually do hope that he's okay whoa like this is like an 18 year old kid and Yagesh looks like a 50 year old man so it's like (laughs) why why would I like no I have nothing to do with this he tries to assure everyone but as Yagesh walks or drives away the prime minister is like talking to the chance like don't trust him don't listen to what he's saying he's Mm -hmm. not to be trusted at all he's clearly the prince's biggest enemy and Charlie's like well to be fair I don't think we can trust anyone in a situation like this Mm -hmm. and so This is when our kids all split up into their various groups. We're going to start with group one, which is Tom, Alan, and Nancy. So they're back at the hotel, and Tom and Alan posit that the prime minister may himself be behind the crime, which, oh, I mean, ooh, sure, but what sort it's of geopolit- country at risk yeah yeah like do they know something like are they geopolitical experts and like, <laughs> they know that there's something going on in whatever nancy unnamed knows. country nancy pushes back actually <laughs> she's like there's no evidence suggesting like that the prime minister has anything to do with this so like good for you nance because we all know that she yeah. is in fact the criminal mastermind behind <laughs> all of this <laughs> as always as always you can always count on want nance. that peace treaty signed money no. or war is money 
Nancy wants exactly. Or actually, it's like this country is known for some export of her, like one of her favorite foods or spices or something. <laughs> like, no, if they sign that treaty, they'll have too much control over the spice, and I need. It. <laughs> oh my god! I was about to just go down a dune rabbit hole because you said the spice. The spice is what it's all about. <laughs> And who has control of the spice? Yeah. All right. Anyways, well, we're not going to. We're Nancy just going to stop is, while uh, we're ahead. Yeah. No. Right. Okay. Because I was about to jump in <laughs> on that too, but off air, we'll nerd out about Dune at least. But anyway, so at this point, Tom then tells her that this is precisely the lack of evidence that Nancy points out is precisely why they're going to borrow, aka steal, the prime minister's briefcase. As evidence of his culpability oh. is sure to be found in there, which means that these kids are quickly crossing the line into international criminal territory. They need to Very watch quickly. out. This is quick. So no hesitation. Can, none. Like, yeah, we're just going to steal this prime minister's briefcase that clearly has very privy security documents in it. No big deal. Yeah. It's cool. Whatever. So the, tri- the trio concocts a plan to borrow the briefcase where oh, they God. essentially like set off a smoke bomb and while the prime minister's distracted they like swap out his fake his fake or his real briefcase for a fake briefcase that they have and then they just run away with his actual briefcase so they start executing the plan and after running away with a briefcase they send nancy in to get the briefcase that was their first mistake <laughs> she runs away. She goes back to Tom and Alan. She shows them the briefcase that she switched out. So she thinks, but they opened it up only to realize that somehow Nancy effed up the whole thing and somehow ended up with the same suitcase or like briefcase that they were trying to plant on the prime minister. <laughs> so I don't know if she like put it down and like tripped or something. It was like, oh no, wait, which Definitely one is tripped. classic Nancy? Classic That's all we could say. Uh, and so they're going through these papers like, oh, this is the wrong one, Nancy. This is our suitcase. And that pretty much ends their investigation. Well, we'll call it a day. We'll call it a day. And at the end of the day, they may have had the intention of committing a very, uh, very dangerous international crime, but they didn't actually carry it out. So yeah, Nancy their was record like... is still clear. I don't want to get caught for something stupid like this. I'm going to accidentally grab the wrong one to appease my brothers, but I'm not getting, I'm not going down for this. Slash Nancy's in on it with the prime minister. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, oh shit, I'm just going to pretend I got the wrong suitcase. But in reality, I can't give up the prime minister because our whole plan will be foiled. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, no, I tripped. She's like kicks one over to make it sound like she trips. Yeah. Never (laughs) actually let go of the one that she had the whole time. Yeah, here you go. Whatever. I think this is it. They're going to think I fucked up regardless. So I might as well. (laughs) If I get here, you go. Oh, Nance. Mastermind. Uh, so, so that ends group one. Yeah, <laughs> criminal mastermind dance. Always. So group two, hilariously, is Flip, Scooter, Mimi, and a kid, Nancy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because either she's been so utterly and utterly embarrassed and like admonished by Tom and Alan and she's she ditched them because she's done with being bullied by them or because she realizes that she needs to sabotage all of the various <laughs> investigations. That one. That one. <laughs> she's so, like, this first one got done in five minutes. Great. I can move to the next. I can, next I can beat that. New PR. <laughs> Let's ruin this one in four. Nancy, the kingpin. Flip is pretty much in charge of this group, the, you know, the young kids. And he believes that the prince's crew chief, like the chief engineer in charge of fixing his race car and everything, I think his name is Surratt. uh, They believe that he is the one to blame for the crime 
pretty much the only reasons why are because this guy, he's got a scar on his face and he's got shifty eyes. Like he's always like looking around from side to side. Mm. And because he has constant close proximity to, to Harim being the man Mm. who's like in charge of fixing his race car. So they, uh, they decide this group that they should go and investigate the garage back where Surratt was, you know, last seen fixing the car and where the car is stored Mm. and they're like tiptoeing around this garage they're looking for clues (laughs) again poor nance poor nance (laughs) i knew it so you're tiptoeing and sneaking i was like no they're not i know you're not three of them are one of them certainly (laughs) is not though she uh she like immediately just starts tripping over all of these things (laughs) causing a ruckus like making all this noise forcing flip to flip out freak out he's like she gotta quiet down you're gonna get us caught why are you making so much noise (laughs) and they make their way through the garage a little bit more into the storage room and the back of it and this room is filled with like wooden crates and large boxes just stacked up on top of each other but as the kids are asking each other if if prince harim is in the storage room like hey do you see him over there is he in here they somehow miss a very large, tall man wearing like a full race car suit with a helmet and goggles. So we don't know what he looks like, Ooh, but he's okay. like creeping behind one of these stacks of boxes. Oh. And of course, when he sees the kids walking through the room and like exit the storage room, he starts like laughing, like very menacingly. Mm, I don't like that. Not either. It would be very scary. Again, considering yes, the terrifying. oldest one here was like nine or 10 years yeah, old. Exactly. <laughs> So as the kids keep making their way through the garage, someone kicks over a can or something, making a loud noise. And Mm -hmm. of course, Flip turns around, accusing Nancy, like, stop it, Nancy. You got to be more careful. (laughs) But Nance, oh, poor Nance. At this point, she's had enough shit from her siblings. And she stands (laughs) up for herself like, that wasn't me this time. Yeah, she turns around and she's like, it was him. Oh, God. To this Dance. large, shadowy figure in a full race car outfit, covered face with a helmet and goggles, standing right behind her. And very reasonably, the kids all <laughs> freak the F out, wondering yes. who is this strange, large man. And they just scatter, hiding all throughout the garage as the man is chasing them around like one by one, which 10 out of 10 would be absolutely terrifying. Yes. As you noted earlier, being chased by anyone, let alone someone like in a full suit who like you can't ID. Yeah. So. They finally, after just probably like destroying this garage, knocking a bunch of stuff over and running up into like the rafters and stuff, they finally get away from this extremely terrifying, creepy man. And as they're running out of the garage, they then see Surratt, the crew chief, working on one of the cars near the entryway. I guess he didn't hear them legit being threatened and chased around this (laughs) garage and, and also breaking they didn't everything. see him when they walked when in, walked in. <laughs> maybe he came in after them i don't know but it's like For it's sure. a garage like it's not that big like you would <laughs> hear him at least opening the door whatever Flip tells Surratt, though, that they were just in there looking for Harim, and Surratt's like, well, you're not going to find him here, but you're you're friends of his, so, like, you guys can always stop by if you want to, like, learn about cars and stuff. It's like, so polite. Yeah, you're being very nice and, you know, friendly to these kids who just literally destroyed everything in this garage. (laughs) Because he hasn't seen it inside yet. (laughs) That's why he's so nice. (laughs) Two seconds later, he, like, walks back into the storage room and is like, okay, fuck those kids, never mind. (laughs) I'm going to kidnap those kids next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And that pretty much is the end of group two's investigation. Okay. So, yeah. These, hey, Nancy, like I said, she's breaking records. Here. <laughs> so, she was like, this one was so easy. Super easy. So now we've got group three, which is Henry and Stanley. And Henry and Stanley, from the jump, they pretty much suspect that Yagesh is behind the prince's disappearance. Because for whatever reason, Henry is like, yeah, Yagesh obviously has the most to gain in the event that the prince has disappeared. 
So like Ooh. clearly these two are not only racing experts, but they are also geopolitical experts All as well. All the kids are. All the kids are. They know. They read. You know, they know. <laughs> I will say, again, unclear for the other kids and the geopolitical experts, but mm-hmm. most likely some of this geopolitical knowledge was just the pillow talk between Henry and <laughs> 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 Just spilling state secrets. Dreams like, Henry, do you know how hard it is? Yagesh has hated my father for years now. He thinks his <laughs> son has the rightful claim to the throne after, after, and it's just so hard. Henry just rubs his hair. It's okay. Exactly. okay like curling his hair and Yagesh is like, <laughs> yeah. they always ask me how the nukes are, but they never ask me how I am. <laughs> Everything is exports this, tariffs that, but it's never just what movie do you want to see this weekend? And then Henry says, Kareem, what movie do you want to see this weekend? Heart Eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Anyway, clearly knowing all of the political going ons of whatever this unnamed country is, Henry is positive that Yagesh is the one to blame here. So he and Stanley, they hop into the Chan van, they turn it into like a dune buggy so that they can like easily traverse this race course and go through the fields and the roads near the racetrack. And as they're driving around, they notice that there's this rolled up canvas mat kind of tucked away in some bushes just off of the racetrack. And so they go to investigate the rolled up mat And they like unroll it and they realize that it's painted like a roadway. And so they surmise that someone was using the canvas to make it look like the road led somewhere that it actually did not. So like, oh, maybe someone rolled it out and then like someone drove their car down it. Wily Coyote shit. (laughs) Straight up. (laughs) Hey, Hanna-Barbera. Looney Tunes and all all the same pretty much. So seeing this as a clue, but uncertain as to what the clue means, they decide that their next best bet is to find Count Yagesh and just tail him, follow him around to wherever he may be holding Prince Harim. So to be safe and to make sure that Yagesh doesn't recognize the boys on his tail, they turn the Chan van into a diaper service truck, which... By the way, wasn't there a diaper truck in one of the episodes of Darkwing Duck that we did? I think there so, was because I got confused by it. Yeah. <laughs> Were they like very popular from like the early 70s to 90s? Like did people just have diapers delivered by trucks to their houses? I feel like something? it was never a thing. But who but knows? Who knows? We weren't alive back then. So yeah, exactly. like, we don't know. We'll ask our parents sometime. Or if you're listening, <laughs> mom, dad, <laughs> anyone, drop it in the comments. Was that a thing when y'all were yeah. growing up slash right before we were born? We're not going to look it up. You tell us. You tell us. So yeah. Yagesh, uh, he takes off, I think, probably from the hotel or something in his race car. And he's like got the helmet and everything on, like speeding out of there. Always got to be ready, I guess. Always. And the boys take off after him in this diaper delivery truck. Naturally. But because Yagesh is in a legit race car, he's going way faster than this truck can. And the boys start to lose him. So they turn the van into a race car as well. And from the start. <laughs> exactly. But also, like, imagine if Yagesh saw this from like his rear view mirror. <laughs> We're like, not subtle anymore. <laughs> yeah, not at all. They're like, screw it. We're already out here. We gotta keep up with him at any cost. <laughs> Henry's lover is on the line here. <laughs> Yeah, Stanley's like, stay under the sky. And Henry's like, there's no time. No, there's no time. Execute Chan plan, whatever. Turn it into a race car. (laughs) Yagesh is like, what the fuck was that? That was just a diaper truck. (laughs) Anyway, so a high-speed chase begins, obvi. And Mm -hmm. the boys, though, they're just not as good of drivers as Yagesh is. They lose them again at a fork in the road, and it leads them to this old, massive, like, wooden house-looking kind of building that's on the edge of some cliff. I have no idea where they are, but they assume assume that this must be the place where Yagesh is hiding Harim. So, of course, they waltz right on in and start searching. They don't knock or anything. Very good. good. 
And when they walk in, they see what they think is a guard standing off towards the back of the house. So naturally, they like run up and tackle this guy or what they think, like trying to hold it down for questioning. They're like super into action here because (laughs) they don't even like no no questions asked. Don't even take a second to think about it, because once they like tackle this thing. They realize that it's just a coat rack with a coat and a hat on. <laughs> Henry is blinded by his love and his pain right now. He doesn't have time He's to stop in rampage and ask mode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'll tackle anyone who's in my way. No questions asked. On site. Instant assault and battery if this were a person. We also have no clue if this person, if it were one, has anything to do with what's going on right now. Yeah. But, but inanimate objects. Exactly. So they continue to investigate the building after that little moment of embarrassment. They're like, okay, did anyone see that? <laughs> no, just us. Oops. <laughs> and they find themselves hiding in a dumbwaiter. It's a long story, but like shenanigans shenanigans exactly they see a cat the shadow of a cat they think it's like a lion or a tiger or something but it's always get scared by cats i don't yeah where where is choo-choo when you need him right i actually have no clue where choo-choo is in this episode anyway yeah so (laughs) choo-choo's a dog who's scared of cars he's not in this episode (laughs) also where's hiding and okay we will get to Susie. okay got it go on let me finish it's literally after this next line that i'll mention oh. it and it's yeah so anyway the dumb waiter it as per usual you're we're, we're on the exact same wavelength <laughs> the dumb waiter that they're on it takes them down a level and when it opens they realize that they're actually just inside of like an indian restaurant in which count yagesh is just like sitting reading a menu to order his meal <laughs> <laughs> like he's, so they like pop out of the dumbwaiter and Yagesh is like oh what are you guys doing here at the whatever hey. whatever Indian restaurant and they're like oh nothing just like checking out the area and then they just like book it out of there through the dumbwaiter <laughs> yeah like oh, no questions asked don't mind us um <clears throat> and this ends their investigation and yeah at this point then we'll ha- we have group four actually I'll oh say okay Group four is all of the Chan cl- the Chan clan. Like they all just get back together at the Got hotel. It. And this is now the first time that we see Susie and Anne as well. I oh believe. my god, Anne. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Jody. Like, sorry, Jody. My bad. Because at this point, I was asking the same question as you. Like, wait, where's Susie? Where's Anne? Where are they? And this is a callback to I think maybe last week's episode. I forget. We we joked about this for a minute, but I was like, like on the yeah, cruise Sus- episode. It was the cruise one. Yeah, it's like Susie comes and goes as she pleases. She's like probably been chilling at the hotel. She's like, uh-huh. I don't care about racing. She's like, I would be into this if I thought Harim was into me, but he's clearly into Henry. <laughs> So and all the other race car drivers are fifty-year-old men. So yeah, gross. illegal. <laughs> yeah, where the teens? maybe even in the seventies. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, uh, now we finally see Susie and Anne, the clan, the Chan clan. They're all together now. They're like hanging out outside of the hotel, realizing that they are all way in over their heads as we have like an international crisis essentially yeah. at our hands here. And so they decide that they need to band together in order to finish the investigation and find Harim. And so they're outside. Um, Look, I don't know where the hell they are, to be honest, (laughs) but they are with this giant, like, hawk-type bird that's perched on this cool little post. And Henry is like, this is Saladin, Harim's hunting bird. Oh, and the bird is I say it's a hawk one because it looks like a hawk, but also it probably is. You're probably Mm -hmm. right because it's like extremely intelligent. Harim's pet bird and Henry is like, yeah, the cool thing about Saladin is that it can find Harim anywhere at any time just by following his scent. Falcon, you think? Well, I'm just picturing Falcon because I I'm now just picturing um or in this undisclosed location um, that they're in like Mongolia or something. And then it makes (laughs) me think of, all right, this is 
to death. Then it makes me think of <laughs> um, definitely in Mulan, the um, like Attila the Hun, like mm-hmm. uh, type guy has a missing bird. Yeah. That's definitely a <laughs> Always flew so. back to him. Always came back. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. So Henry is like, will you Saladin to follow the scent of Harim and we'll follow him and then we'll know where the prince has been taken. Y'all should have done that from the jump. But yeah, what the hell, Henry? Maybe they didn't know much about was. Saladin. True. How they came about it now doesn't matter. Who cares? Yep. So Henry's essentially like, go Saladin, be free. Find Harim, just like let them free. Bird like, never comes back. <laughs> <laughs> the bird like leads them off a cliff. <laughs> because yeah, the chance as once Saladin takes off, the chance all load up into the Chan van and they're like booking it, following the bird, like looking out the sunroof to make sure they're still on his tail or on his trail. And no, uh, so the bird does actually lead them to a harbor where a large ship is docked. We're going back to boats again. I think We're this going is like three episodes sea. in a row. Yes. Where is this country? Where, Where are No they? clue. Where are they from? So the kids, they search around the ship, creating just utter chaos in the process. Like you've got the younger kids are like hiding in lifeboats that are hanging along the side of the hull, like pulling them up and down oh and they're swinging all over the place. The middle kids are up in the engine room and like the radio control room, like oh God, messing with controls. Pirate and- style swarmed this ship. Yes. There are like 10 of them. That's like a whole crew. Yeah, it's true. That's a crew. <laughs> And of course, somehow, while Henry and Stanley are, you know, searching the deck of this ship, they encounter all of these men wearing like Frankenstein type costumes, who then start chasing them around throughout the boat. I'm just leaving it at that because there is no other explanation as to how or where these like where these men came from, why they're wearing these Frankenstein costumes, just know that the boys are being (laughs) chased. It's happening. And so... Finally, after all of these shenanigans, the kids, they locate Prince Harim. I think it's one of the boys sees him. It's one of the younger boys, like either Tom or Flip, maybe. Okay, so Falcon did do his job. Yes, he did. He actually did the job. He led them to the ship, and and Harim happens to actually be on the ship. They see him through a cabin window, so they all, like, call in on their Chancom watches or whatever Mm -hmm. and are like, guys, I found the room. And so they all group together and just bust into this cabin. And Harim is like, what is going on? What's happening? And shortly after they run into the cabin, Charlie Chan enters behind them, telling them that indeed they have executed a very fine rescue plan. And Stanley is just like, well, dad, how did you know to look for Harim on this ship? Because, like, we had Saladin. What other clues could we have missed? And Charlie's like, well, I just followed the word Osiris, which, as I mentioned before, was on the prince's scarf. And he adds that Osiris is the name of the ship they are on. Ah. So, <laughs> so some easy, reading right? would have Exactly. Just read and look up things. I don't know, like Google <laughs> yeah. Osiris. Some, don't, don't just look at the first search. Yeah, right? Yeah. So... Outside of the cabin, as the Chans are talking to Harim, we see another man dressed as Prince Harim, who looks exactly like Prince Harim, tiptoeing away, trying to sneak his way past the Chan family. He's like, but they're on to me, get out of here. But they turn around and see him just in the nick of time and chase after him. But Henry's like, well, no, 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 better idea. Saladin's gonna get him because I guess not only is this bird able to find Harim wherever, but he's also like his protector. I don't know. Pretty badass, so, actually. That's kind of cool. It is actually it's super cool. Birds are awesome. What can I say? This guy. <laughs> toss, toss. <laughs> uh he low-key kind of does because when the chans run outside, they just see like 
the the imposter laid out on the ground and Saladin is like resting on his chest. So like <laughs> in reality, you know that bird's talons are like in the man's skin, <laughs> like holding him down. Just puncturing his lungs as yeah. they stand there. You see like blood like dripping out. <laughs> and birds like poking at his face. He's not actually, but in real life, like this bird would be like poking at what his face. Oh he's like, who's this man who looks like my owner, but clearly does not smell like my owner? Imposter! Wow, what a good boy. So the Chans, Harim, and the Prime Minister, they all make their way down the boat deck to see who it is impersonating Harim. And uh, Charlie, he pulls off a mask. And Grace, I'm going to ask you now, who do you think is the imposter? I think it's Yagesh. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think it's the Count Yagesh. Um, I, uh, he, I do think he has the most to gain in this cold war situation, (laughs) especially after, um, uh, he, yeah, it's whatever cold war situation is happening. He wants those nukes. Um, I think also a bit of wild speculation, um, in, Mm -hmm. in that moment in which the prime minister accused him and they had a little like, well, don't accuse me, like pointing fingers at each other. I think that was also yes. a scorned lovers moment happening between them. <laughs> the that's, big, a Romeo, where, that's why he's bitter. <laughs> yeah, a Romeo and Juliet style, like their families like would never allow them. Their countries would never allow them to be together. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's Yesh. I think it's the yeah. Count. That's why I promise you, I was like, don't trust that man. He broke my exactly. heart once. He'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Exactly. That's what I think. Well, Unfortunately, you're yeah. not right. I like your wild speculation. And yeah. if this episode made sense, that probably would be who it was. <laughs> but don't okay. feel bad for not getting it right because the actual culprit is a character that we literally have not seen yet. God damn it. A man, <laughs> a man by the name of Zhang Will? Will? I don't know. But anyway, he is a master of disguises. Stanley's which, like. <laughs> My next note is Stanley could learn a thing or two. <laughs> Stanley's like taking notes, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. told nice. you it works. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, this guy, though, he looks like your typical villain. He's got this very thin face with like uh, pointy cheeks and a pointed chin and beard, mm-hmm. thick, like, but near. Like very dark but narrow eyebrows. He's bald on top and has like some hair on the sides with like very mm-hmm. deep bags under his eyes. Like he just like, uh, I'm tired. The spy life, the, the master of disguise life. It's it's wearing ready down. To pass my baton to another master of disguise. <laughs> and he's like ready to catch like the or yes, he's ready to like catch the bouquet. <laughs> like flies over him. Nancy catches it. <laughs> just smiles. <laughs> It's me. <laughs> so anyway, Charlie looks at the prime minister and Prince Harim like, do you know this man? Oh. And Harim is like, yes, indeed I am. I'm familiar with him. And the PM chimes in like, yes, he's a spy who was hired by our enemies to keep the prince away long enough to serve their purposes. Clearly, the writers did not want to get into the weeds of the geopolitical matters at hand between these two nations. So they just leave it at that. They're like, like, there was a treaty, this dude didn't want it. This country didn't want it. There are enemies, so he's a spy. Boom. Don't sign it. That's all we got. Wow. We're here to make cartoons, not to talk shop. (laughs) (laughs) So let me explain how all of this happened. Because I skipped some things earlier at the beginning of the episode to add more intrigue and mystery, right? So during the race, during like one of the last laps or something, after Harim had taken a pretty wide lead on the rest of the competitors, we see a group of men again and some sort of, you know, like a pogris or something Ah. in brown suits. They receive a call via walkie talkie that orders them to, you know, that the coast is clear. Now is the time. And so at that moment, they pull back this one of the walls of the racetrack and roll out that canvas mat that was painted oh. like a road. And so it makes it look like the racetrack takes an extra turn. And the canvas mat actually leads directly into a shed off or like behind the race course. 
So since Prince Harim was in the lead, he takes the turn, not realizing it to be a trap, which like, bro, in these kind of the races, you're doing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> First of all, and you do like 500, you do hundreds of miles, like you drive around the circle many times, you study the race course, like, did you not? He was so shattered by seeing Henry beforehand. <laughs> I was nervous. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to impress Henry. And so he go, he drives down this fake road into the shed, which also he's like, huh, I don't remember the shed being part of the race course, but I'll drive in anyway. And in the in the shed, he was kidnapped. Uh, Jean Will then put on the mask and Harim's clothing and whatever, hopped in Harim's car, taking his place in the race, went back out onto the race course. And the co-conspirators then rolled up the canvas mat and closed that wall off of the uh, race course that they wow. had opened up. And so it looked like the race course was normal again. And that is also the point where Yagesh was able to close the gap so mm. much in the race. And that explains why um, Henry was ignored when he congratulated Harim after. Yes. That epic That's win. I didn't do his research. <laughs> exactly. Henry was also <laughs> like, see, I knew it. He would I never knew. not hug me after a <laughs> race like that. <laughs> so after the rescue and back at the race course, you know, everyone's happy again. Kareem can go and sign these papers. But uh, before he goes back home, I guess, I don't know, maybe they faxed him the papers or something at this rate, because they're still just chilling in whatever country they're in. <laughs> the prime minister's like, let's go. Fuck out of here. War <laughs> is breaking out. The nukes are pointing in the air right now. <laughs> Russia's on the line. Yeah. So, um, no, Harim, though, he's just like letting Alan drive one of his race cars around for a test drive. Yeah. And Anne, though, she's on the side, like, really wants to try it out. And she asks Harim if she can take a go. But Harim is like, uh, yeah, I don't know. You'd better ask your dad. And Charlie hey, is 14. like, yeah, 13. or 13, maybe. Do I don't know how to try Yeah, do you? But Charlie's like, nah, I think you'd better not. And like, sorry. And like, there's a whole B plot to this episode that I didn't get into. But uh -huh. Anne is essentially like, super super feminist like female power in this like yep. saying i don't understand why women can't be drivers too and alan and tom are like bullying her like women can't be race car drivers whatever and so Anne is frustrated like well dad you let alan drive because he's a boy yeah Anne. and saladin and right as she says this because she's like quoting saladin too by the way casual <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. He's just like perched on her arm. <laughs> he just like squawks right when she says this. And she's like, well, he's a bird or he's a boy bird. He's he doesn't know anything. And yeah. And then that's the end of the episode. Wait, she doesn't get to drive? <laughs> no, she doesn't get to drive. She's like 14. She's 12. And she's a girl. She can't drive a race car, Grace. <laughs> there would be some type of like, you're right. No. You were being sexist. Go no. ahead. No, they're no. Why would they have a happy ending? <laughs> Everyone's like, uh, Harim's got to catch a flight now. Bye. Bye. Sorry. Cars off limits now. They like boot Alan out. Like, sorry, kid. Got to go. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Wow. Which also, just as another side note, like, Charlie clearly had the mystery figured out, like, from the first clue. As soon as he saw the scarf, he was like, Osiris. Oh, yeah, that's a ship at the harbor. Well, yeah, I'll go there later. I'm probably just going to, like, go take a nap at the hotel, and we'll figure this out, and we'll get Harim in a moment. And you then, like, when, Again. He pull, when he pulls up to the ship, he sees his kids, like, hanging off of the lifeboats <laughs> on the side, running around the ship deck. And he's probably like, Jesus Christ, what, you are, know what? what were they doing? Here's the thing. Being a single parent is hard. And he needed some damn peace and quiet from sharing a hotel room with 10 children. He was like, this will keep him entertained for at least six hours. <laughs> I can go He's take like, a nap. Surely they won't, like, destroy the ship or anything or, you <laughs> know. Commit international crimes. Yeah, they're not going to, like, get into too much trouble. Like, this this is my time <laughs> to get some rest. Me time. Oh, Charlie. Oh, no, no, no. Should no, have paid time. Susie to watch after those kids or something rather than yeah, just. Susie was Susie also, was also taking time. a nap. <laughs> yeah. They, like, both see each other in the hotel room and just, like, <laughs> knowingly look at each other of, like, 
and go off to their rooms for a nap. Yeah, like, okay, see ya. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll take care of those kids later. Um, yep. I will say with this episode, for even though the fact that like we never saw that character until that moment, mm-hmm. that is actually possibly in all of our episodes we've done in this show, the like plot that makes the most yeah. sense in the sense that like, yes, it is an international spy trying to keep a peace treaty <laughs> right. from being signed. Right. It's not and some not like- the prime minister of the Yeah, the, the prime country. minister, the mechanic, like <laughs> yeah. it's not like some like outrageous plot line. It's just like, oh, we didn't see him before. So it doesn't make like sense in the, um, how these shows are laid out, but in actual like- In real life. Real life. Yeah. Yeah, this is a yes, spy who was trying happen. to- Yes, they kidnapped the prime minister to not have this peace treaty get signed so that war can break out between their countries. Like Exactly. This actually is the most logical episode. <laughs> <laughs> like with the who done it yeah right that makes sense. Yes. that's pretty much how it would go and with it being like this massive conspiracy like i said there's a large group of people on the racetrack who are like on walkie talkies pulling yeah. back the curtain whatever rolling out that canvas yeah. like this was like a, a very terror group exactly like... yeah like this this i will say too though the um was it my first episode, the weekend in Hawaii? Like oh, that uh-huh. was also very like that made sense too. Like, yeah, it would be, oh, yeah. I guess, the manager who is stealing from the guests. Guess. Like, yeah. I guess, you know, whatever. But yeah, the kids they listen, for this episode in particular, the kids don't get geopolitics. They don't they don't know how this stuff works. Oh. They're like, yeah, the prime minister of the country that's about to get bombed wants to get bombed. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Harim, while flying back to the country with, obviously, Henry's bringing him back with him, he's just like, mm-hmm. oh, honey, you're just the, you're the trophy wife. You don't get involved in the geopolitics. Remember, we talked about this. Talked about this. Geopolitics, world politics is my thing. My you're thing. just, he's like stroking his face. Yeah. <laughs> You just, just come and cheer me on at the races. Yeah, exactly. Don't ask questions other than I that, love you okay? so much, honey. And you're smart in your own way, but you're going to start a war, okay? <laughs> okay. And we can't have that. Can't Remember what that, happened okay? last time? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I just get so excited. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just, worried about you. But I used the Falcon. And he's like, I, you did. That was good. good, honey. Good. And it worked. You found me. You found me. Yeah. But just but let your, but your dad time, had it under control. Yeah. Next time, call my CIA. <laughs> yeah. Right. Call my secret service well, first. Yeah. Okay. We'll figure it out. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, wow. now Henry I love this episode. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was good. All the, you know, slightly offensive, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. low key racist depictions aside, which again, it was literally just in the way they drew these people, considering again that it's like in the 70s, not like 19, like 50 or 40 something when like maybe yeah. that would have been more, tr- or like the 1800s even, like when yeah. that was the more traditional garb of the uh like security guards in particular as you'll see the prime minister though he's just wearing like honestly he's just wearing like a nice blue suit yeah yeah like a regular suit he's got this like red waistband on with it too which is kind of like but but yeah i I, I think that yeah like it's it's actually it's not bad it's really just the security guards that look right which again because they literally use the same character for all six of them and they have just like the like the yeah the pogbreeze and and like open vests that's the thing that like again like in my episode like they would be wearing bulletproof everything exactly that's what secret service wears is bulletproof things yes even in the 70s i i I don't think they were wearing that there's no protection whatsoever yeah they were (laughs) not the flowiest sleeves like they would (laughs) be getting stuff caught in their arms no (laughs) No, exactly so yes well uh, great job fun episode, fun episode. Thank you. good job thank you thank you i think it was called double trouble is the name oh, of it like episode nice. nine i think yeah so cool good work yes so thank you thank you and of wow. course as per usual we will be back with yet another episode yes. of the amazing chan and the chan clan and i cannot wait we are getting close to the end of this we so are. we'll see what happens in the next couple of episodes we'll and uh, it's been such a fun find but Until Mm -hmm. next week, Grace, 
who should they tell about this podcast slash vodcast? You should tell a race car driver. You know, <laughs> there are yeah. some of those races. I mean, especially the ones that like aren't just like on like the circular track ones that actually mm-hmm. are like going long distances. They got to listen yeah. to something. Tell <laughs> a race car driver, put binge this podcast, binge this show while they drive. <laughs> They're listening to that instead of like their crew telling yeah, them like what to do to like get ahead. Yeah. The crew is like trying to get in touch with them, like, hey, you need to slow down. You're gonna blow this gasket. You're gonna blow it. And they're just like, Harim. God, I would never get fooled by what's this turn? Also gets kidnapped. Yes. So yeah, tell race car driver. Uh and who else? Uh, and then also tell the crew chief, I guess, which I had <laughs> to read listening. about to, yeah, also not listening, which I had to read about them for this episode. Cause I was trying to figure out like what Surratt's role in all of this yeah, was. And I'm like, yeah, there's like the whole mechanic team that like fixes up the car yeah. and like advises the racer on what to do and how to like win the race and stuff. And the crew chief is the head honcho of the mechanic team, whatever. Yeah. So tell him too. He didn't. Or her, I suppose I should yes. yeah, be inclusive. The list that I found was only men, though, of crew chiefs, Classic. of course, in uh, most NASCAR or whatever racing environments. But Classic. tell them. I'm sure they don't have any, like, thing to fix or anything. Like, An entire garage to fix after these yeah. kids yeah. fucked it up. That's why we or didn't like, see Surat the rest of the episode. He was, he was busy cleaning up. his fucking garage. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And tell them that uh, there's a whole episode of this podcast dedicated for, for them. them. We need them for them. We need Thank that new you. demo. Plug <laughs> <laughs> to watch the podcast on uh, YouTube if you're only listening. <laughs> we just did a nice little cute nose bop into our a cameras <laughs> for uh, our Chief crew mechanic team demo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For mechanic you're demo. You're out there. <laughs> yes. Yep. Amazing. Great. Cool. Great job. And um, thank you. Thank you. We'll see you all Until next, next week. week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Morning Mysteries. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, rate, review, leave us a like, and drop a comment. We post episodes every Saturday and bonus tune tangents whenever we feel like it. So please subscribe so you don't miss the shenanigans. And if you want to follow us on YouTube, click the bell under the YouTube subscribe button to receive notifications when new videos are posted. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, we have no idea what you're listening to us on. So just hit the big subscribe button on whatever app you're using. We we believe in you. Give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at SatmornMist, all the abreeds. And let us know if you have any episode or show requests by emailing SaturdayMorningMysteries at gmail.com. Thanks to Jenna Kendall for the logo design and to Ava Sakiki for the music used during this week's episode. See y'all groovy kids next week on Saturday Morning Mysteries.